Today, answers matter more than ever before. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage customer questions with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to work for any industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash Watson Assistant. This is SportsCenter at 6. Why the Steelers-Bengals final score is not the hot topic. What to make of the NFL's swift and decisive response to a hard-hitting Monday night. With bowl season upon us, Mel Kuyper Jr. and Todd McShay debate the number one overall draft pick. Once upon a time, Syracuse and UConn served up a six-overtime thriller at the Jimmy V Classic. As the rivalry renews tonight, Jay Williams joins us from the garden. Nobody on the floor can fight. Nobody in the NBA can throw punches. What is up with KD? Why Kevin Durant has been ejected more times in the last 18 games than in his entire 10-year career. And now, here is Michael Smith. My man, I'm going to need you to be a little more enthusiastic when you say my name. Like so. Feast your eyes on our 6 at 6 on this fine Tuesday evening, including what the Rams' contingency plan is for when they aren't able to rely on their ears Sunday when the Eagles fans take over the Coliseum. The field at Paul Brown Stadium certainly had the look and feel of the Roman Coliseum floor last night and watching battered body after battered body being helped off certainly had a lot of people feeling somewhat squeamish. We'll get the suspensions for Juju Smith-Schuster and George Iloka in a moment, but top of mind is the status of Ryan Shazier, who remained in the Cincinnati Hospital Tuesday and won't be returning to Pittsburgh as he deals with a back injury that left his teammates and coach Mike Tomlin shaken, though cautiously optimistic. It was a tough evening. Um, Man, Ryan's a, a trooper. Had an opportunity to spend some time with him, man. He's in really good spirits. Tough guy. Um, he's got great support uh, from family and loved ones there. Um, it's painful to kind of get on that plane last night. Um, but, but, you know, that's life. Um, we realize and, and understand that he's in really good hands um, and is getting expert medical care. Um, and he also challenged us to to, to move on with what it is that we need to move on, and he's with us as well. So Shazier underwent extensive testing overnight. Team says uh, that the injury did not require surgery at this time. We're looking at another 24 to 48 hours, Michelle Steele. I understand that Shazier is scheduled to remain at the University of Cincinnati Medical Center where you are. What more can you add? Yep. Well, I know that you just played sound from Mike Tomlin and just to illustrate the urgency of the situation and how much Tomlin wanted to see uh, Shazier, the guy that he calls a brother on this team. He didn't even change clothes out of that wet sweatshirt he was wearing on the sidelines at Monday night's game. He went directly to the emergency room after the game had ended and he had finished his postgame obligations along with Art Rooney, the owner, and GM Kevin Colbert as well. Now, Ryan Shazier with will stay in the hospital tonight. He will not be going home to Pittsburgh today, as the team had originally hoped. In a joint statement with the University of Cincinnati Medical Center, a team doctor who specializes in neurology said that Shazier will need to undergo further evaluation as well as treatment for presumably that back injury here in Cincinnati before being released perhaps tomorrow, perhaps Thursday. So plenty of questions in the air. And he is not alone. I should say in the building behind me, there are team personnel who stayed back with him, including that team doctor I mentioned. His parents are also here as well. In fact, the team sent a private jet to 
to Florida to get his parents to bring him here. That is very rare in football and just illustrates the gravity of the situation. But, Michael, I got to tell you, the biggest question for us right now is does Ryan Shazier have feeling in his legs, those lower extremities? When I posed that question directly to a team spokesman, he told me there is no update at this time. So we'll continue to watch this story as it develops, Michael. Teammates and loved ones with him, and I speak for a lot of people when I say our thoughts and prayers are with Ryan Shazier as well. Thank you, Michelle Steele. Uh, meanwhile, Juju Smith-Schuster says that standing over and taunting Vontez Burfick is not who he is. Nonetheless, the NFL suspended the Steelers' rookie for Sunday's game against the Ravens for, quote, lining up a defender and delivering a violent, unnecessary blindside shot to his head and neck area, close quote. George Aloka was suspended for Sunday's game against the Bears for hitting defenseless Antonio Brown in the head and neck area. Both players are appealing. Steelers safety Mike Mitchell appealing for reason from the powers that be, and that's putting it kindly. Mike Mitchell, we can, we're only going to show you a few of them. He was going in on Twitter all day and using the 280-character feature, even use the hashtag MakeFootballGreatAgain. Uh, Adam Schefter, chances that either, neither, or both Smith-Schuster and or Iloka prevail on appeal? Well, I think that they're going to have a difficult time right now, Michael. The NFL is not exactly in an overturning mood, despite Mike Mitchell's sentiments on Twitter. We saw that Rob Gronkowski's suspension was affirmed. He will be out Monday night. And, of course, now the NFL will hear the appeals of Juju Smith-Schuster and, of course, George Iloka again. I don't think that there's much optimism in this current climate Mm -hmm. where there are hits every single week, where the league is under criticism, scrutiny for these hits that are being doled out on a weekly basis. Essentially, the players are not doing a great job policing themselves. The coaches aren't policing the players. The league really is struggling with how to handle this right now. And we've got a situation where players are being suspended on a weekly basis for actions that are further tarnishing the league. It's gone on way too long right now. And so it's hard to imagine that the league is going to overturn these suspensions. But every player is entitled to his day in court. And we'll see what each player decides to argue in front of their jointly appointed appeals officers on Wednesday. Yeah, Adam, you may have answered my question before I asked it. I like that you said overturning mood and just pointed out the climate. No progressive discipline here when it comes to Smith-Schuster. And I wonder, would the league have come down this hard on Smith-Schuster in particular if it had not occurred within the climate of a brutal, hard-hitting, violent, nasty game last night and a day after we see Rob Gronkowski commit such an egregious act that got him off with some would say light with a one-game suspension. Does the league come down that hard if not for, as you mentioned, this current climate? And, Michael, let's go back two weeks to Michael Crabtree and Akeem Tlaib fighting. Let's go back to Mike Evans being suspended for a game for his actions. Let's go back to any number of hits that occurred during a difficult and trying season. Now, I think in this particular climate, that absolutely contributed to why Juju Smith-Schuster is being suspended here. I also think he did not help his cause when he stood over Vontez Burfecht and taunted him Mm -hmm. at that point in time once the defender was laying defenseless on the ground. The NFL doesn't like players to hit defenseless players, which is what it characterized the hit on Vontaze Perfect. And I don't think it particularly cares for players with defenseless players and then stand over those defenseless right. players right. and taunt them the way that Juju Smith-Schuster did last night. Right, adding uh, insult to injury, literally, in this case. It's funny, you know, so many programs we grew up watching where these types of hits are celebrated. They're Hall of Famers who made their name making these types of hits. Oh, yeah. And we watch those programs in NFL films on ESPN. But the players have to get with the program. It is a new day. Thank you for joining this program, as Thank always, you, Adam Schefter. Jimbo Fisher. 
bounced to College Station, but the Seminoles appear to have bounced back quite nicely. Willie Taggart leaving Oregon and headed to Tallahassee. Taggart hired by Oregon in December 2016, when seven and five in his only season with the Ducks. Prior to Oregon, Taggart spent four seasons at South Florida, going 24 and 25, but 18 and seven in his final two seasons there. Considered one of the game's brightest up-and-coming offensive minds, a 41-year-old Taggart has strong recruiting ties in Florida as a native of Bradenton. Like yours truly, he grew up an FSU fan during the days of Charlie Ward, Warwick Dunn, and Amp Lee. Bar none, T-Buck, and Vanover were my guys. First African-American coach in Florida State University uh, history. ACC's youngest active coach now, and I mentioned those strong recruiting ties to his home state. His only class with the Ducks included seven players from Florida, and the school's 2018 class currently includes five more recruits from the, shun, the Sunshine uh, state. Our guy, Ed Ashoff, to whom Taggart confirmed the move, uh, is here now. Ed, uh, tell me how this deal went down. Well, really, for Willie Taggart, he wasn't going to leave Oregon unless it was for his dream job. And to him, getting back to the state of Florida, where he's from, and being in Florida State, a program that he is respected from afar and up close when he was growing up, was the perfect fit for him. And when I talked to him, he said, look, the thing about Florida State is I get an opportunity to not only go to an elite program, but I get closer to my family. And that was really big for him, considering that he lost his father before the season. And it just felt that if he was able to get closer to his family, he'd be a lot happier. And he loved his time at Oregon. And this was a very tough decision for him. It wasn't one that he just made overnight. All right, Ed, I'll show off with the latest on a big hire for Florida State, bouncing back in a big way from Jimbo going to College Station. Meanwhile, you could see this coming when you saw Steph lead the Smoothie King Center on crutches wearing a walking boot after that nasty ankle sprain, that there would be no homecoming for him this week, and he would be out for Wednesday's game against the Hornets, at least. But we kindly ask that you do not let Curry's absence dissuade you in the least from watching Golden State at Charlotte tomorrow at 8 on ESPN. He's officially listed as doubtful. I'm positive that Chris Haynes, this was initially your story. What do you know about how long Steph's absence could last? Because as we're hearing from Woj, he's going to be reevaluated in two weeks. And we know the Warriors tend to be conservative in the first place with their stars and injuries. Yeah, and that, that two weeks can very well end up being three weeks or possibly even longer. Steve Kerr has taken a very cautious approach with his players, especially his main players this season, making sure they get the proper rest, making sure if they got any minor injuries that they're going to go over, exceed the length of time it would take to recover from that. So I would expect them with Stephen Curry that they're going to go out of their way to make sure that he is nothing but, anything but 100% when he comes back. And you have to look at that two-week window. That's around December 19th, if he were to return. That would give him three days, three games, before that big Christmas game uh, against the Cleveland Cavaliers. And so I know Steph really wants to play in that game. It'll be interesting to see how Warriors do in the handling of bringing him back. All right, Chris Haynes with the latest on Steph Curry's status. It would certainly help in the meantime if his teammates chilled with the ejections, which we'll get to later on in this show. Back to the first game of the Jimmy B Classic, which again features the two winningest Division I programs over the past five seasons in Jay Wright's Villanova Wildcats and Mark Hughes' Gonzaga Bulldogs as they meet for the first time. Uh, Jay Will, on the other hand, certainly no stranger. Uh, who are some players that we should be keeping our eyes on, not only tonight and throughout the college basketball season, but as we look ahead to the next level as well, Jay. All right, Mike, I'll first start off with a guy here who's going to play tonight for Villanova. I played with his father, Rick Brunson. Jalen Brunson isn't a guy that's going to jump off the page athletically on a stat sheet, okay, or the NBA 
combine, pre-draft combine measurements. But he's a guy that you need to have on your team. When I start thinking about backup PGs, the Marcus Smarts, the Raymond Sessions, he is that type of player. He has a winning culture. He understands how to play. She's over 40% from the three-point line. The kid just has a very high, high basketball IQ. Then I think Mikel Bridges. He's another guy that plays here at Villanova. He's 6'6 with a 7'1 wingspan. He's jumped up into the lottery. He's a guy you need to pay attention to. He can shoot the ball well from the outside. Really has became one of the big-time players for Villanova. You've seen his, uh, his overall scoring increase by nine points this year. And then for Gonzaga, Killian Tillian. I mean, this kid is from France. He played for the FIBA 19 national team. He is skilled beyond belief. For Gonzaga, you lose Schmidt Karnowski, you lose Zach Collins, Killian Tillian comes in right away, and he's a guy instant offense. These are three guys in this first game tonight that are big-time players that you will see their names called in the next couple of months in the NBA draft. Chief, you know you, Chief, you know you're old when you start name-dropping out play with his pops, right? I know, yeah. I know. Seriously. You're going to make me all emotional right now. You <laughs> took me back to this point, Mike. I know. I'm 36. I know. Still younger than me. Later tonight at 9 over on ESPN2, we got 7th-ranked Texas A&M taking on Arizona in the Valley of the Sun shootout. Uh, two of the premier bigs in the nation squaring off in DeAndre Ayton from Arizona. Did I say his last name right? I hope I did. Uh, who is third in ESPN's top 100 NBA prospects, apparently. And Robert Williams, who is eighth in the top 100 NBA prospects. Uh, tell us what to look for in that matchup, Jay. Yeah, you know, a lot of people are talking about Marvin Bagley be the first pick in the draft, but you can sit here, I can argue that, because DeAndre Ayton is the most skilled big there is in America. I mean, this kid can shoot from mid-range, he can shoot from deep. I mean, he's averaging over 20 points per game, a double-double machine, and he is just the most skilled, complete big man there is in college basketball right now. Going against the junkyard dog of Robert Williams. Robert Williams got suspended for the first couple of games of the season. But Texas A&M is a top 10 team with Robert Williams in the lineup. Their front line is one of the top front lines in the nation. And Robert Williams is extremely athletic. He hunts after loose balls. He can gobble up offensive rebounds. And he has a very soft touch around the basket. So that the battle of the bigs tonight to watch when you think about DeAndre Ayton going against Robert Williams is a fantastic matchup to watch. All right, man. I wrote all these names down and everything you just said. Appreciate the I knowledge. You. I got you, brother. With the first pick in the 2016 NFL Draft, the Los Angeles Rams select Jared Goff, quarterback, California. With the second pick in the 2016 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select Carson Wentz, quarterback, North Dakota State. I would really like to hear from all those people well, like, there are no franchise quarterbacks in this draft. Why are the Rams and the Eagles trading all these picks to get up to one and two to get a couple of guys who in year two have gone to combine 19 and five after their teams went seven and 16 as rookies a year uh, ago? So the Eagles, they stayed out west after Sunday night's loss in Seattle. So that means an L.A. getaway for Sal Powell. Sal, what's Doug Peterson's message to the team coming off his first loss since, I want to say, September? Yeah, you know, his, his message to the team now is we're on a business trip out here in California. We've got to clean up what happened in Seattle. And really, it's been a two-week process when you go back and look at it, Michael. You go against the Bears. They had 11 penalties. They had three lost fumbles. Seven penalties against the Seattle Seahawks. Two turnovers against Seattle. And Doug Peterson, when we talked to him after they lost to the Bears, he said, yeah, we got some things we got to clean up, but I'm not going to hit him over the head with it. 
completely different attitude around the coaching staff and the players from what I've been told being here in the team hotel. And this quote is much different from, I'm not going to beat them over the head with it. I'm not going to clean, we're going to clean things up. He said, we've got to erase them this week. They've got to fix the turnovers and the penalties going against the Rams. The last thing they envision is coming out to the West Coast and going 0-2 back-to-back. You mentioned it being a business trip. A lot of Eagles fans making a trip to L.A. so much so that Sean McVay, they're working on a silent snap count for the Coliseum. Sal Powell, we appreciate it. We'll talk to you later, man. The IOC announced the unprecedented step of suspending the Russian Olympic Committee for, quote, systematic manipulation of the anti-doping rules and system. However, they will allow individual athletes who meet specific standards to compete under the Olympic flag. Now, you know this is a huge story when I called my man Jeremy Shep to <laughs> Skype in from the crib to put it in perspective. <laughs> Jeremy, how would you contextualize this development? Well, it's both massive news because the IOC is um, affirming the results of its own investigation that there was state-sponsored massive doping on the part of Russia, particularly in 2014 at the Sochi Winter Games. And it's also not as big a punishment as it could have meted out because it is allowing particular Russian athletes uh, subject to their approval to take part in the games, although officially they will not be competing for Russia. The Russian national anthem will not be played if they win gold medals. Russia officially will win zero medals uh, at these games in South Korea. But make no mistake, if they do let in certain athletes, people are going to know they are from Russia and they are Russians. Uh, You know, it's... It's it's big, um, but it's not comprehensive, and it's very similar to what was done back uh, in 2016, just before the Rio Games, after the first revelations about uh, the widespread nature of this doping. And at that time, the IOC let each of the individual sports governing federations make their own decision. The IAAF, which oversees track and field, said uh, put down a blanket ban, but again allowed athletes to apply for permission to compete as individuals. Only one such athlete was allowed to compete. So um, Russia said, though, if this happened, there was the possibility that they would boycott the games entirely, meaning they would not send their individuals to compete, their athletes to compete as individuals. We'll see what happens with that. All right. Steph Curry out for Wednesday's night, Wednesday night's game against the Hornets on ESPN. Sprained. An ankle late in Monday's win over the Warriors. X-rays were negative. Warriors announced that Curry will miss at least two weeks with a sprained ankle, after which that ankle will be re-evaluated, according to our own Adrian Wojnarowski. There is a look ahead of the Warriors' upcoming schedule. Again, Wednesday on ESPN, they're looking, uh, Wednesday, they were looking to go 6-0 on a road trip. Then they got the Pistons on Friday. So, tough schedule, but they certainly have the firepower to withstand it. Speaking of firepower... Carmelo Anthony learning that maybe fewer shots is better. 17 shots, 18 points the last two games. First time in his career he scored in single digits in consecutive games. No coincidence that the Thunder have won two in a row. Looking to make it three in a row tonight against the Jazz. Old habits die hard. Maybe just maybe they're starting to figure it out. Something to watch for tonight. Also watch to see how Devin Booker follows up his season high 46 and it went over my Sixers last night. Suns at Toronto. That guy must see TV even on a bad team. I would show you Embiid 
dominating Alex Lynn, but I gave props to the winning team. A lot of winning the Celtics are doing these days. Beat the Bucks despite 40 from the Greek Freak. That's because Kyrie had 32, 19 in the second half. They're a second half team if you ever seen one. Jason Tatum, 17, 4-4 from beyond the arc. NBA best 21-4, most wins at home. I'll stand by my statement last night um, that, you know, his actions after the hit um, are more disturbing than the hit itself. He, he's a better sportsman than he displayed um, after the block. You know, you got to acknowledge that, and he's got to work hard so that people understand the type of man he is from a sportsmanship standpoint, and that's not something that's going to happen overnight. That's just the reality um, of plays like that. I'm Michael Smith, and... While you have Mike Tomlin and Juju Smith-Schuster saying that's not who he is standing over and taunting Vontez Burfick, he is the one who nonetheless the NFL suspended for a game. The Steelers rookie wide receiver banned for one game against the Ravens for, quote, lining up a defender and delivering a violent and unnecessary blindside shot to his head and neck area. Meanwhile, Bengals safety George Aloka suspended for Sunday's game against the Bears for hitting defenseless Antonio Brown in the head and neck area. Both players are appealing. Steelers safety Mike Mitchell appealing for reason and consistency from the powers that be. And that is putting it politely. We can only fit three of his tweets on the screen because he fit it all into 80, saying that there's inconsistency when it comes to Gronk being suspended one game for what he did against the Bills on Sunday. And Juju Smith-Schuster also being suspended for one game. And if you think Mike Mitchell was hot today over this. When you look at the Gronk situation and you look at the Mike Evans situation and you see, okay, now you just see the end result, one game for Gronk, one game for George Iloka, one game for Juju Smith-Schuster. How can you not subjectively sit here and say what Gronk did is much worse? If you want to start disciplining people, you better come up with a better way of being consistent about this because when you do this where it looks exactly like Tim said, when you're disciplining off the net result and it looks like you're being reactionary, like, let's take the temperature, let's see what people yeah, are saying are about be, this. If we, if we are they going to be mad? Yeah. Let's hit them. The, if they're not going to be mad, mm, like you, here's a fine. You, you can't do that. Jeremy Fowler, if that's what Mike Mitchell is posting on Twitter, what are the Steelers saying behind the scenes? <laughs> Well, Lewis Riddick is fired up. I don't know if I can top that, Michael, but, uh, you know, there is a no-brainer that Juju was going to appeal this. His people told him that he should, and the teammates love the hit. I mean, you know, they don't necessarily condone him standing over Vontez Burpick the way he did, but Juju himself said he usually likes to be a humble assassin. He does not want to cause any sort of rift in the NFL. He wants to be cool with everybody, but players stand by their guy. In fact, in the locker room last night, Antonio Brown was saying that he would pay uh, Juju's fine. He said, touchdown Brown has got your bill covered. Now, it's going to be a lot more than that. He's going to have to cover now a whole paycheck. But they stand behind this guy. And I spoke with Juju this week. You know, he, he was phased by this. He said, as soon as I hit him, I knew I messed up when I was standing over him. That's not the way I want to leave my NFL legacy. Yeah, one of the reasons the Steelers love this rookie so much is he's such a violent blocker. He really takes blocking seriously. And speaking of love, there's no love lost between these two teams. So you're going to be hard-pressed to find a Steeler with any sympathy for Vontez Burfick. A lot of sympathy, though, going out for Ryan Shazier, who talked to teammates Mike Mitchell, the aforementioned Mike Mitchell, and Vince Williams today. He seems to have been upbeat in his interactions with the team. What are you hearing? Yeah, Mitchell's actually, from what I'm hearing, one of a few teammates that has spoken to him. And linebacker Vince Williams told me after the game that 
He believes Shazier has gotten some feeling back in his legs, some movement back, and that Shazier had indicated that to him. Shazier told him that he would be fine, but this is going to be a rigorous process. Make no doubt about it. The University of Cincinnati Health neurosurgeon and the Pittsburgh Steelers neurosurgeon can come out with a joint statement saying he's going to stay in Cincinnati for the next 24 to 48 hours, and he's going to have to undergo a battery of tests. Now, as far as I've gathered from asking around, there is no surgery yet, but that could be an option. We don't know what that's going to detail, but I've been in contact with some people that are around Ryan, and they're just basically sending me text uh, prayer emojis. That, that's really their stance right now. They've been praying for the last 20 hours straight, but they are encouraged. They want to get to Pittsburgh. Eventually, they should be able to get back later this week. All right, Jeremy. Thanks for the information. We appreciate it. It was fun. I was in a great rhythm. It was a fun night, to say the least. Play attacking. Play Thompson's getting aggressive. Clay's feeling it early. You can just get that sense. He's having a night. Clay's feeling it. So happy one-year anniversary to Clay Thompson, 60 and 29. Maybe Clay picks up the slack and goes off as Steph Curry sits out at least Wednesday night's game against the Hornets on ESPN after spraining an ankle late in Monday's win over the Pelicans. X-ray is negative, though he will be evaluated in another two weeks uh, with that sprained right ankle. It's clear the Warriors, especially KD, are out of you-know-what's to give. Kevin Durant ejected for the third time in 18 games, second time since Friday after he got getting tossed just twice in his first 100, oh, excuse me, 811 career games. The other day, he said sarcastically he just needs to shut up and take it from the refs. Last night, he says he needs to be more poised. You're talking about a team that leads the NBA with 18 texts and with a combined 24 texts and ejections. KD, or the Warriors, excuse me, have six ejections this season. That's twice as many as any other team. As I mentioned, KD now has uh, three. I mean, El Hassan joins me now uh, on the sixth. Warriors, as I mentioned, lead the league in technical fouls with 18. What's going on with KD and the Warriors in general, as in when did they become the Clippers? Uh, well, Mike, they're not the Clippers yet. Hold on. Let's, let's pump the brakes on that one. You know what I'm no, saying. Yeah, I know what you're saying. But, uh, you know, I, I talked about on the jump today with Rachel Knuckles and Byron Scott. Uh, you know, I, I compared it to washing the dishes and how annoyed I get if someone adds an extra dish while I'm doing the dishes. It's not that this is a tough task. It's just that it's so annoying and I got to get through it. And any little extra annoyance just goes over the top. And so for the Warriors, let's be honest, the regular season is meaningless. Every game before April 15th is meaningless to them. But they still got to do it. And so little things get under their skin where it probably shouldn't. Meanwhile, you have Steph Curry out for at least two weeks before he is uh, reevaluated by the Warriors. This is a team obviously got a lot of firepower, so nobody's shedding any tear for them missing one of their four stars, if not superstar players. Uh, they seem to be accustomed, though, to playing without one of them. So what's the adjustment that we'll see as they continue to try to keep this perfect road trip going? Well, I mean, if you look at what happened when Durant was out last year, they obviously got to play the style of ball they had played the prior year the ball moving around a lot. It'll be interesting to see if Durant can now be that, be what Curry was in that offense without having to worry about sharing with Curry. But again, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. This is the, the last team that, I mean, we were joking about on Sports Nation today. We had the promo for the game and Curry's picture was up. And so, well, he's not going to play today. If only they had another MVP to put up. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, to literally, watch him. 
it doesn't matter. Brian Winhurst always talks about margin for error, about how many things you can do wrong and still come out victorious at the end. And the, the Warriors probably have the biggest margin of error, definitely of this decade and maybe of ever in the NBA. So uh, I, I, what's, the, what's the adjustment? I don't know if there's any adjustment to make. I think they just play their ball and, <laughs> and Katie gets some more shots. Yeah. <laughs> can go hoop. Um, most people think they're going to go and win the whole thing again. A lot of people think this is the best team in the NBA right now, though, and that's the Houston Rockets. With Chris Paul back, he hasn't turned the ball over practically at all. Mike D'Antoni doing an amazing job of staggering these two star players. And what they're doing at both ends is staggering. The only thing that can stop them is an off night, not playing tonight. But I saw the Washington Post ask 105 media members who their MVP was so far this season. And James Harden is the overwhelming favorite. And the other day, I mean, I saw where Synergy had him as the number one isolation defender in the NBA. So even though LeBron has been his usual brilliant self, you can make a case for Kyrie Irving and other guys. Is this the year that James Harden finally is not a bridesmaid when it comes to MVP? Well, he definitely deserves it. And I think when you look at that synergy number for his isolation, most felt like James Harden one-on-one when he's guarding his man. He's not bad. He's bad when other things are happening that requires him to react, to play help defense, to help his, de- his, his teammates in the past. He's been better this year defensively in that aspect. And I think we need to focus on that a lot more. But, yeah, man, I mean, it's not. this is not easy to do to be able to absorb a ball-dominant player like Chris Paul, and I know he missed a bunch of games, but since he's been back, Harden has been able to still remain stellar mm-hmm. while also Chris Paul getting in the swing of things. And, you know, the, the thing I've always said about Mike D'Antoni and that offense, and obviously I'm very familiar with it from my time with Mike in Phoenix, but if you give him an elite point guard, he will give you an elite team. Yeah. Well, now you see you, got, you gave him two elite point guards. You got a really elite team. Who were committed to working well together. So, real quick yes. before I let you go, I mean, let's spin it forward. You got P.J. Tucker, Luke and Bob Mute. They can get it done on defense as well. Right. Do they have anything for Golden State when it's all said and done? Are they that good yet? No. <laughs> no. Well, that's, that's no disrespect <laughs> to them. But I figured I'd ask. You know, like, oh, that intent will get you a cup of coffee being the best team right now, I guess. <laughs> but we'll enjoy it the rest of the way. Enjoy talking to you as always, I mean. So we wondered whether big-time prospects skipping bowl games was a blip or a trend. Here you go. FSU safety Derwin James announced on IG today that he will enter the 2018 draft and skip the Independence Bowl. Who could blame him? Jimbo made a business decision, and this kid's projected to go in the first half of the first round. Missed 11 games with injury last year. Meanwhile, our Football Power Index says the Browns have an 89% chance at the first overall pick in next year's draft. Given their track record since returning to the league in 1999, there's about a 69.9% chance they blow it. Now, they've hit on a couple of guys, Joe Thomas, Alex Mack, before you hit the road. And in fairness, it's way too soon to call it on this year's draft class. So I guess we'll see. We'll see who's pulling the trigger. Mel Kuyper, Todd McShay, Mike Greenberg. Who's going number one overall? We know it's all about the quarterbacks. I understand it's the very beginning of the evaluation process right now, but who's the best one? Right now, the best one's Josh Rosen from UCLA. He's playing the best football. I I thought it was really eye-opening watching that USC game. Sam Darnold has all the intangibles, the toughness, the grit. He's got mobility, better than I think people give him credit for. And he's shown that he can make special throws, and he's so clutch, too, when you need him to step up. Rosen, though, is just what you look for in an NFL quarterback. In the pocket feeling it, going through his progressions quickly, the accuracy, the timing, all of those things. He is artistic throwing the football. And when you see that, it's hard to say 
I'm going to take somebody else over him. Now, I think the interview process will be very important. Josh Rosen has some convincing to do to show that, hey, football is my number one passion. But the improvement with Darnold was significant. To go from where he was early to midseason, from midseason to late, yes, once that offensive line straightened out, once the receivers came on, he really lit it up. I, I still believe wholeheartedly in Sam Darnold that he's going to be a very good starting quarterback at the next level, and I trust him and his intangibles more than I do with Josh Rose. He should go back for another year. We all agree he'd be better off going back for another year. Yep. As a general rule, quarterback should if they have the opportunity to at history show. No question. I mean, Rosen's going to have over 30 starts. He's going to have about, what did I say, 23, 24. Baker Mayfield is going to have about 47, I think, when it's all yeah, said Keep this in mind, guys. Baker Mayfield come draft day will be 23 years of age. Mm-hmm. Sam Darnold will be 20. He's young, but I think Sam Darnold, another year at USC. Well, because the comparison that will make a lot of people nervous Mm -hmm. is Mark Sanchez. It was a kid who came out of USC who could have gone back. He went very high. He was on the field starting Mm -hmm. week one, and we've all seen what happened. Okay, the name Lamar Jackson never comes up. Should it? It comes up in a discussion when we talk about prospects who have intriguing ability, and he's an athlete. Can he be a wide receiver? Do we see enough as a quarterback to improve? And now he lost some guys, his receivers, his top running back. Bigger numbers. Too. And he got better. And he looked a little bit, when you watch him, were you convinced he could be a winning NFL no, quarterback? He, he showed more poise in the pocket. Yeah. He was a little bit more patient. I thought a little bit more consistent with his accuracy. But he's still not at a level that is acceptable for using a first, you know, first second, third Does round become Terrell on a Pryor. quarterback. Now, yeah. right, are you going to be able to get other usage out of him. He is a special athlete. I mean, you don't see many guys like this. So how can we utilize him and maybe still try to develop him as a quarterback or just use him as a receiver? He will be worked out as a wide receiver. Yes. Okay, and then there's Baker Mayfield. The shortest quarterbacks ever to go in the first round were Manziel and Michael Vick. We don't know exactly where Mayfield will fall on that, but he looks small. There are the -the off-the-field questions, but people love him. He improved so much with his accuracy and ability to hang in the pocket and make his reads. He is one of the more accurate quarterbacks in all of college football, and he has a stronger arm than people give him credit for. I think just because he's small or whatever the reason, everyone says, well, he doesn't have a big arm, maybe it's the system he's in. This dude can throw the ball downfield. Then there's a quarterback that people generally haven't seen much of because of where he plays. So give me a comparison. Who is Josh Allen? People are going to bring up Carson Wentz and Ben Roethlisberger. I look at Josh Allen as Josh Allen. Nobody wanted him coming out of high school. Nobody wanted him coming out of JUCO. It's like Craig Bowl. And I think he couldn't have turned out to be the best quarterback from this I mean, their losses when he was healthy before the shoulder injury were Iowa, Oregon, and Boise State. Ten years from now, when we're all sitting here, who will we say, of all the guys we just named, was the best NFL quarterback? Sam Darnold. I'll say Josh Allen. I'll add to his height. Marcus Spears, I know Baker Mayfield has been your guy for the Heisman. (laughs) Copper has him as a fringe first-round pick. I know one of the issues for him is his size or lack thereof. Some would say his biggest issue is maturity questions. Would you take him in the first round if you were an NFL evaluator? No doubt, no question, Mike. I'm confused after hearing Mel and Todd McShay talk. I don't know. I don't know how they come <laughs> up with the with the first round guys. But when I look at Baker Mayfield and you think about the NFL, it's gearing towards guys that have juice. And Baker Mayfield has all of the talent, but he also has juice. He actually reminds me of Russell Wilson more than anybody on the next level. Now, Russell is clean, cut off the field, Mm -hmm. uh, living with Sierra, got a new baby, doing all of the right things, says all the right things, is a community guy. If Baker Mayfield can clean that up, I definitely think he can lead a franchise. If you look at those players at Oklahoma, Mike, they follow him. 
they want to be in the light with Baker Mayfield with every move he makes. So he would be a guy high up there for me. Yeah, they're bringing his jersey out for a coin toss as if he had passed away or something. Like, <laughs> I, I get that they like him, but that, that's, a, that's a big if, though. That's a big yeah. if. And, and, and I don't mean, like, whether or not he can actually mature. He's still obviously only 23 years old or so. But that's a big question. If you're an NFL team taking a high pick, can we trust this guy to be what he needs to be once the limelight gets even brighter? No that doubt. more than his physical no skills doubt. and his improvisational skills may be most important. Let's move on to some coaching news. Uh, so Willie Taggart, one season at Oregon, now going to his dream job at Florida State. He's obviously a Bradenton, Florida native, one of the best up-and-coming, brightest offensive minds in the country. And, oh, by the way, no small thing, first African-American coach in FSU history. How big is this hire for the Seminoles? and the way they bounce back from Jimbo Fisher bouncing the A&L. Mike, it's everything, man. It's huge. Not only not only for the culture, but also because Willie Taggart is a very good coach. He has Florida roots. And look, the state of Florida is getting crazy competitive now. They just they just hired Josh Heupel from Missouri, who had a prolific offense. He brought Randy Shannon. Randy Shannon has been recruiting Florida forever. Dan Mullen at UF. You look at what they're doing at Miami now with Mark Rick. You got to get a guy at Florida State that's going to not only compete on Saturdays, but going to compete in the recruiting trail. And Willie Taggart is that guy, man. He went and he's he, he's had an MO for turning programs around. Yeah. USF was a disaster. He left there with a 10 and 2 record. He went to Oregon when everything was abysmal. Had a rocky start at Oregon. Still managed to win seven games and get them bowl eligible. Was at Western Kentucky. Was a running back coach at Stanford with Harbaugh. This dude's been around a lot of great coaching and he's also shown proof that he can take a program from one step to the next. I think it's a home run for Florida State. Man. Listen, he's from Florida, but for him to go leave Oregon, which was a good gig in of itself, got a good yeah. recruiting class coming in there, a couple of Florida kids. You knew he must have wanted to go to FSU. And, and look, he like me, he came up with the Ampli, Casey Weldon, yes. the bar none days. I was an FSU <laughs> yeah. fan back in the day. No hey, doubt. real quick, Tennessee, uh, Philip Former has talked on the phone extensively with T. Martin. They say it's a very positive conversation that's moving in the right direction. Obviously, national championship winning quarterback going back to 98. Could Philip Former hiring T. Martin, would that make this whole ordeal for the volunteers worth it in the end when it's all said and done? Mike, no doubt. I think it'll settle a lot of things down. And look, when you bring in one of your own sons home, T. Martin, obviously national championship winning quarterback at the University of Tennessee, has had success, has has had some guys under his tutelage at USC. When you look at Philip Former and what he was able to do and have success, bringing T. Martin back would really calm things down. And I think you're getting a really good coach. I think the trend of college football in a lot of areas are going towards younger guys, these offensive minds. You look at Herman at Texas. You look, um, UCF just hired Josh Heupel. Lincoln Riley, first year, 33 years old, going to the college football playoff. Scott Frost. It's a lot of guys right now in college football that are kind of ushering in that new generation of coaches. We'll talk about being old in the next 15 to 20 years. I think T. Martin can fall right in that category, and you know he will. it will mean a lot to him at the University of Tennessee for them to be very good and compete in the SEC East yeah. and possibly play in the championship. Well, they definitely need a home run uh, in Knoxville, and they need somebody to come home. They need a member yes. of the family there to stabilize that whole thing. Appreciate your family. Hey, it's uh, good to see Ryan Shazier uh, tweeting, saying thank you for the prayers. Your support is uplifting to me and my family. Uh, Ryan Shazier is still in the Cincinnati hospital with a back injury. 
As for the power rankings, Steelers up high, but the Patriots hold the top spot in the latest power rankings. They swap spot with Philly, who comes in at number two. So let me get this straight. Philly loses at Seattle. They were the previous number one. The Patriots beat the Bills, and now everybody thinks the Patriots are better. Okay, that's fine. How do you want to do it? Uh, it is a good day for both J.J. Watt and Jose Altuve, named Sports Persons of the Year by SI to Sports Illustrated. Watt, of course, has raised more than $37 million for Hurricane Harvey relief. Altuve, of course, led the Astros to their first World Series title. That's it for the sixth.